Exodus 4:29. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people that he was authorized to do. And the people believed. When they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice, to let Israel go. I know not the Lord. Neither will I let Israel go. Heavenly Father, we ask that we may see the Lord high and lifted up. In all his glory and all his uh, authority. And may we see ourselves as what we really are. Worthless sinners in God's sight. I pray, Father, that by your grace, these two things might be reconciled in our consideration of your word today. We trust you to bless. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Something of which we need to remind ourselves from time to time is that the Bible is permeated with historical facts. The events of which we read in the Old Testament actually occurred. They took place. They are not religious fables. This, the Exodus, actually occurred. Yes, we do read of miracles in the Old Testament. Yes, there are other things that are hard to understand, hard to explain. But that is because we now live in a day dominated by sin and undergirded by Satan who hates the word of God. We are born skeptics. And society feeds that skepticism through a multitude of its own uh, fast food outlets, shall we say. We dine on a diet of unbelief. And when we actually do smell the, the, uh, the, the manna of God, our stomachs turn and we often run from it. That's not what we enjoy but there remains plenty of physical evidence for the existence of Moses. We can, and we think we know exactly who this Pharaoh was, and we can pin down his larger name. There is corroborating archaeological evidence for many of the details that we find in the book of God. And we know them to be true, not because of the archaeological uh, evidence, but because God tells us so. Furthermore, the lessons that we find in Genesis and Exodus and throughout the Old Testament histories provide us lessons that are just as pertinent today as they were way back then. Both Moses and Pharaoh departed this world a long, long time ago. How did they leave? All people die because there is now a fatal flaw in our 
sin-cursed DNA. We die. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, and if I might add, the judgment of Jehovah, the judgment of God. While everyone dies, how they die, the manner of their death can be revealing. Moses was apparently airlifted to heaven. But this Pharaoh was drowned in the midst of a divine miracle. That was the difference. Can we be more precise? Precise, I should say. Moses was blessed by the grace of God. Pharaoh, Pharaoh was, Pharaoh died in unforgiven sin. Pharaoh died under the judgment of God. The sin of rebellion incited by his pride. Let's consider Pharaoh's fatal flaw. This man was the dictator over a relatively powerful country about 1,500 years ago. In the sight of men, he was a great and powerful king. In his own sight, he was great and powerful. But in reality, he was no more great and powerful than the Wizard of Oz, the Great Oz. He didn't have the ability to protect himself from the true king, the king of kings and the lord of lords. He had to have men keep the scorpions and the uh, serpents out of his palace chamber because he was vulnerable to their attacks. And if uh, COVID existed in those days, what was to keep him from getting the virus or cholera? or pneumonia. And yet, for a while, along with the power that he had over his own people, he had the lives of millions of Hebrew slaves in his hands. And with this and with other things, he thought that he was really something. I am Pharaoh. I am in charge. He was proud of his position and his power. But then along came Moses, the ambassador of Jehovah, demanding the release of those slaves. Again, Pharaoh had the power to keep or release those people. And he thought about it a while and said, nah, I think I'll keep them. No, they can't go. Time and time again, Moses shared with Pharaoh the command of God. And each time, Pharaoh said, no. On ten occasions, Jehovah illustrated his authority and his power through various miracles, but Pharaoh continued to reign firm. He would not budge. They may not, they will not go. Exodus 5 comes early in this conflict between Moses and Pharaoh, which was actually a conflict between the gods of Pharaoh and the god of Moses. Verse 2 is a perfect reflection of the state of Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? 
I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. For the next nine chapters or so, Egypt and her king were hit with the, the, the body blow punches of the Almighty God. Then finally, battered and bruised, Pharaoh told Moses to take God's people and get out of Dodge, get out of Egypt, get out of here. Israel was ready. Moses gave the command to the people of Israel. But it takes a long time to move so many people. And Pharaoh, thinking about it, changed his mind once again and went after them, leading his army against what he thought was a defenseless people. Ah, but there is the Almighty. There is the Lord. Please turn to Exodus 14. Chapter 14. And follow along as I begin reading in verse number 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they move forward. But lift lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow after them. And I will get honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. As I hope that you know, Pharaoh and his men followed Israel into a deep canyon in the midst of a divided sea. And when Israel was safely on the opposite side, opposite side of the sea, both the walls around Pharaoh collapsed. And he and his armies were, well, simply put, drowned. They died. I ask you to read with me because I wanted you to see two things. In chapter 5, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not Jehovah. And here, Jehovah said, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. What was Pharaoh's fatal flaw? What brought him to this very unusual death? It was that he refused to honor God, submitting himself to the Lord. And the cause of that particular failure was his pride. Here's my subject for the morning. There, here is the primary reason... Millions of people die violent deaths every year. Who is the Lord that I should honor Him? And here's the reason billions of people have died or will die the second death. They will not recognize the authority of God. That pride creates a barrier which covers the face of God. That pride creates... Uh, within the sinner 
may I use the word, the stupid idea, I don't want the grace of God. Mm. I refuse the grace of God. Pride is a cancer more deadly than any physical disease because its ramifications go on forever and ever. Briefly, what is the cause of pride? In any study, it's always good to be sure of the definition of the subject under consideration. I don't know why I do this, but from time to time, I'll look up a word that I've, I know what the word pride means. I looked it up first on Google and got the modern definition. I found that modern dictionaries have a much more mild definition than uh, Noah Webster. In Webster's dictionary, printed 200 years ago, uh, expressing the common opinion about pride, this was his definition. Inordinate self-esteem and the unreasonable conceit of one's own superior talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, in distance, in reserve, and often with contempt for others. That's not what Google said. <laughs> you can look up Google when you want. Even though you may not be intimately familiar with Pharaoh, can't you hear this definition in what he said about God? Who is God that I should obey him? He not only had contempt for Moses, but he had contempt for the God whom Moses represented. And he based that contempt upon who he was. I'm Pharaoh. I'm in charge. Generally speaking, why does one person look down on another person? Why does Pharaoh look down on Moses, for example? Isn't it because that person pictures himself to be superior? The only way you can look down is to be higher than the thing you're looking down upon. I'll come back to this in regard to Pharaoh, but consider it generally. Some people think that since they have more money than other people, that they are superior to those people. Just because of money. Rich people are often proud. That's not true of everyone. That's a generalization. The Lord Jesus has told us it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The difficulty is not in the riches that he has. It's in the pride that the riches have encouraged in this man's heart so that he will not bow down to go through the eye of the needle. He will not recognize himself to be small enough. I'm not. I'm important. Like wealthy people, powerful people are often pride-filled. And those who are physically beautiful often look down on the rest of us ordinary folk. But here's my point. There's always someone who is superior to the people who think that they are superior. The fashion magazines at this time of the year may declare that so-and-so is the most beautiful woman in the world. I guarantee that the same magazine, which will come out a year from now, 
is going to say, some other woman is the most beautiful woman in the world. And Forbes magazine or one of the other financial um, publications will print the name of the wealthiest person in the world. The truth is, he's not wealthy enough to spare his life from cancer or heart disease. And the truth is, he's not wealthy enough to pay a tithe on the tithe of the wealth which our God controls. He's not at the top of the heap. The Lord is. Why does pride exist in this world? It's because of the attitude, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I know not the Lord. Why is it that pride is among the sins most hated by the Lord? Again, the answer is seen in the question. I don't recognize God. Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? When people begin to learn about God, truly learn about him, they begin to see who they are in the sight of the one who really is superior to everyone in all things. The pervasive practical atheism which exists in the world today and exists in every human heart by nature is the source of this sin of pride. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I know not the Lord. Perhaps you aren't so sure that pride is all that pervasive. Let's consider the way it exposes itself. Pharaoh pictured himself to be at the top of the heap. His position, his power were greater than all others. Of course, you and I would never think like that. We aren't fools. We know that there are kings greater than us. But do we sometimes think that we are maybe just a little smarter than that king? So we manipulate his uh, speed limits. I'm smarter than he is. And I don't need to go 35 right here, 25 right here. School's not in session, whatever. And we think for a moment that, you know, I am bigger than the man. I am bigger than Pharaoh. The Pharisee looked at his neighbor and said, I thank thee, God, that I am not like other men. I am better than this man. There's political pride. There's positional pride. We're all potentially guilty of it. And then there's that pride which is tied to religion. We go out knocking on doors and a man comes to the door. We say that we're from Calvary Baptist and he says, no, I'm not interested. I have my own religion. Thank you. How many times have we heard oh. that? Pharaoh had his own religion, which he considered to be greater than the religion of uh, the Hebrews. In fact, even though the Egyptians recognized that Pharaoh was a human being and subject to human weaknesses, at the same time, they viewed him as God. Which certainly spilled over into his own heart. I am relatively divine myself. Isn't this a part of the average human religion? Pharaoh is not interested in Jehovah. 
because he was filled with self-imagined divinity. Don't many people behave like little gods in the worlds that they have created, their little business or their uh, associations and this and that? Rabshakeh, the military general of Sennacherib, proudly defied Hezekiah to say that Jehovah is greater than the gods of the Assyrians. You do that. And check out how many other nations said the same thing and now they are our slaves. Go ahead, Hezekiah. Make that boast. And then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and four score and five thousand. When Israel arose in the morning, behold, the Assyrians were all dead corpses. God is God. Jehovah is the Lord. As I said, pride often determines how men and women leave this world. There were ten plagues that the Lord brought down on Egypt, gradually increasing in strength. Most of them could have been explained away as natural phenomena. The locusts came in, frogs, skin diseases. But when each of them were predicted and precisely controlled, it was hard not to consider the hand of God. But like a, a boxer going ten rounds with an opponent much tougher than he, Pharaoh endured each punch. He fell to his knees a time or two, but he got up and brushed away the blood from his nose and he said, hit me again, God, I can take it. Over the course of a few weeks, he became proud of his toughness, of his durability. He reminds me of the man who comes to the house of God, hearing the message of his sins and of the salvation in Christ, but he grows more stubborn and more proud of his ability to resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Pride. No matter what Christ's qualifications and power are, I will not have this man to rule over me. And here he is bleeding from ear to ear as the Lord pummels him. There's intellectual pride which competes with biblical faith. Someone says, only a fool would believe in divine creation. Only a fool would believe what Paul says about Christ being the creator. I would suggest that only pride would make a statement like that because there's far more evidence for uh, creation than there is for evolution. Yes, Some other proud individual declares it's illogical to think that the, that the sacrifice of one man over here 2,000 years ago <coughs> will somehow deliver this man over here from his sins. It doesn't make any sense. I didn't say it made sense. This is what the Bible says. Believe it. There isn't a, a shred of humility in any modern criticism of the Word of God. It's all motivated by pride. Job 21, which we read earlier, describes another form of this intellectual pride. The wicked man, the unbeliever, the openly sinful man 
happens to be prospering in every way. His cattle are multiplying. His children are multiplying. His bank account is growing. And the taxes he pays on it are shrinking. He looks around him and he sees religious Job suffering the loss of everything. His mind takes a few turns around the block and he says to the Lord, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? Shortly after that, Job comments, Lo, their destruction is not in their hand. How often is the candle of the wicked put out? How oft cometh their destruction upon them? God distributeth sorrows in his anger. Job reflects the rest of the Bible, pointing out that these wicked people are not in control of anything. Their good is not in their hand. And when Job speaks about their candle, he's talking metaphorically about that little flame called their life. And all it takes is a puff of wind to blow that candle out. God can certainly do that. God distributeth, distributeth sorrows in his anger. It is appointed unto men once to die, sometimes violently and painfully, but after this, the judgment. Think about the results of that sinful pride. Proverbially speaking, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Exodus 14, verse number 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, watch, the Lord looked unto the hosts of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord Jehovah fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And Jehovah said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned, unto, returned to its, his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. 
And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. What prompted the death of Pharaoh and his army? You can boil it down to the sin of pride. There are other factors, but pride. In Acts 12, Herod Agrippa became the Pharaoh over Israel, killing James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. It might be argued that this was not pride. This was expediency, political, this and that, so on and so forth. But we read on in that same chapter, verse 21, Upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto the people of Tyre. And the people gave a shout, whether they meant it or not, they did shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote Herod because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms. Eaten by worms. Remember, the state of our heart may determine the variety of our death. General statement. I'm not talking about the state of our heart with high cholesterol and hypertension. I'm talking about its sinful pride. How does Acts 5 tell us that Ananias and Sapphira died? These were professing Christians, may have been Christians for all I know. The pride of these people gave them boldness to lie to the Holy Spirit. And each of them on different occasions died instantly when their sin was brought to their face. We could talk about Judas Iscariot's pride and about his death. The pride of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is famous. And so is God's grace upon this sinner. And related to Nebuchadnezzar was Belshazzar, who proudly and blasphemy was drinking alcohol from the sacred vessels of the house of God. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain with blood by the swords of Darius the Mede. What does pride do? Because it is so closely tied to an idolatrous heart, It alienates the sinner from God. Perhaps unlike any other sin. Proverbs 6 tells us that it is among God's most hated sins. He even hates the facial expression that betrays pride. Psalm 73.6 describes pride as a chain preparing that sinner for God's violence. You're not going to escape it. Judgment is coming. James exhorts us, humble yourselves in the sight of God and he shall lift you up. In reflection of Solomon's statement, a man's pride shall bring him low. The Bible abundantly declares the absolute sovereignty, majesty, superiority of Jehovah over all things. Yes, amen. In contrast to the holiness of the Lord, it declares that you and I are wretched sinners. 
There's absolutely no room for pride in any of us. We have nothing in which to boast. We, we have no more right to be proud than Pharaoh or that sinner being devoured by leprosy. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble heart to receive the spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah 57. What is it to be contrite and humble before the high and lofty one? It begins with a recognition of our wretched sinfulness. Our sin nature. Our acts of sin. It involves humble repentance before God. With an admission of our true condition before the Lord. And with that, there must then be the application of the Lord's solution. Israelites were no less sinful than the Egyptians or Moses than Pharaoh. But Israel applied the blood that Christ, uh, that the Lord had prescribed for Israel's redemption. And in the application of that blood, they were released, escaped Egypt, escaped the judgment of God. That blood is an illustration of the only way that we can escape God's judgment. The application of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have nothing in which to be proud. Except perhaps the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not ours. Repent before God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Pharaoh? Why not? Why not you? Please stand. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that Your Word would accomplish its intended effect. That the children of God would rejoice in what we possess in Christ and that the lost might see that they have a pride problem. That they wouldn't remain in their sins. Heavenly Father, speak to hearts. Change hearts. Save souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn to number 334 in your...